Scouts all relied on heavily when evaluating talent. Teams should be drafting for the future and not just immediate needs. It all starts with the quarterback position. Thank you for listening to the East-West Football Podcast with Jerry Martinez, Kendall Whitley, and now here is your host, Fidel Barraza. What's going on, guys? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I hope everybody else is the same. Man, I'm super pumped, man. A double header. So let's get started. Yes, and on today's show, formerly of ESPN and NBC Sports and current author for Buried Sports Media, Ralph Stats Guerrero will join us on the show. And also NFL agent Alex Gominski. But let's go ahead and start off with some NFL headlines. Probably the biggest story of the week has been Jamal Adams. Uh, it is rumored that the New York Jets are going to be sending Jamal Adams to the San Francisco 49ers. What are your thoughts? Yeah, th- this story is not going to win no time soon. I actually think it's, I think it's going to break in the next couple of weeks. It seems like every other day, Jamal Adams, he comes out with something, whether it's on social media or he's tweeting or something. But, you know, it's, that, he's been saying he wants to join the Cowboys. A lot, a, lot of th- a lot of news and reports have been linked up to the Cowboys. And then this week, it seemed like the 49ers rumors are heating up big time. So it's going to be very interesting to see when and where Jamal Adams go. My gut feeling is he, he's going to end up going to San Francisco. Man, when, when you hear, you know, the package that they're going to send to the Jets, I mean, me personally, thinking as a general manager, I would not do that. I would not do that, as, especially as the 49ers. I know that they they were in the Super Bowl and they lost it, but still, I don't care how close you got to it. Do not give up two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. As fun as a player as he is, and, I mean, he could – I mean, he would be able to do so much for you on, on a defense, but I just personally – personally, let's see what happens. I know, I mean, the Jets say they're, they're not going to do a trade, but we've – I mean, we have sources out there. They're saying that this is going to happen. But we'll see what happens and where he ends up. But if he stays, well, then he stays. Yes. Yeah, I have a close source in the Bay Area, and he's telling me it's a done deal. They're just trying to figure out a uh, contract, you know, as far as how many years and what the money's going to be. Uh, we can look at this two different ways, right? I mean, first, uh, the 49ers going balls deep, so to say, right? Uh, <laughs> they made the Super Bowl last year, but if we think about it, what was the one area they struggled in? Their defensive secondary. backfield, their yeah, secondary, secondary, exactly. So, I mean, not only getting that, you know, that, that safety, that star safety, you know, being back there, I mean, he would immediately be the, be the best defensive, uh, you know, corner defensive back, you know, that they currently have. And the other way you can look at it is like, well, man, like giving up two ones and a three, that's a lot, right? I mean, let's think about it. I mean, that's a lot of – as far as, like, assets in the draft, I mean, you can either move those picks to get more picks or you can pick some younger players. For sure. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you should use the draft to be able to, you know, compensate or or balance out your, your cap space, right? And for you to give up this year, well, the, ne- the upcoming year and then the following year, that's too much capital loss. And, and but we all know that these teams only have you know so many years to actually get to the Super Bowl and win. So I mean I don't blame them if, if they do it. I understand it. I mean you you play to win the championship, right? So if there's a player out there that can help you accomplish that, why not trade for him? Yep, I've seen other teams do it in the past. So yes, you're right. All right. Also, too. 
the NFL has canceled the Hall of Fame game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Dallas Cowboys, uh, as reported by Adam Schefter, due to COVID-19. What are you guys' thoughts? Yes, man, you know, I really hate it. You know, it was, a, it was an annual thing they do for the Hall of Fame game. You know, two teams, they normally play. They, they normally get, like, the, two, the normal team, they get four games. But then do, these two teams, they get an extra game. So, I mean, it just – I think it's heartbreaking. It really hurts. And then not only they're counting the game, they're counting the whole ceremony, the whole yep. the whole weekend. So the be postponed. Yes, all the festivities that come with it. I mean, it's it's bad, man. But, you know, hey, it is what it is. And just we're in a different time right now. I, I think that Kendall just hit it right in the dot. We're in a different time. It's something that we're not used to. I mean, yes, okay, COVID nineteen, it's uh, it's a, it's it's the flu, but it's just this trend. We're we're not used to it. It's just one of those things that that everybody's trying to understand it. And still, I mean, each day we learn something new. I think that the NFL has to just take the leap of faith and just trust that their medical staff and everybody that they have on board is giving them the best advice. I mean, the way it's looking, it's looking that the preseason is going to be like not going to happen this year, and they're just going to mm-hmm. roll on with the regular season. Well, you know, that preseason game is between the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers, two teams that have, you know, a strong fan base and, you know, two of the largest in the league. So, I mean, to me, it's kind of like you have to protect yourself right now with everything going on. So, I mean, I mean, it's just a busy week, right, when you think about it. So not only do you have the game that's usually played either on Thursday or Sunday, but you also have the Hall of Fame. And there's a lot of people that travel to Canton, Ohio, to, you know, to be a part of all the festivities. So, I mean, to me, it was they were kind of forced to do it just because, again, everything going on, and they're, start, they're still trying to figure out how they're going to go about the regular season. Now, it is rumored that they are going to cancel the whole preseason, uh, maybe mm-hmm. besides one game which would be the warm-up game, right? But if you're the NFL, you have to watch your back and not let people get sick. Yes. It's, it's, it's crazy. I think that the one thing that you can, like, look at it right now is just it's just insane, right, when you hear the reports of, you know, big-time players, too, uh, being tested, you know, positive for it. And, of course, we, we do it. And I would say this with all the respect to the HIPAA laws and whatnot, but – Still, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, when you look at the big picture, it, it it's probably best that, you know what I mean, that this is happening right now for them because it gives them enough time to recruit and get ready for the regular season. I, I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to persuade anybody to go out there and get sick. No, don't do it. Do your part, you know, stay safe, do the social distancing, keep your mask on, right? But still, I mean, just when you look at it, it's just it's un- unheard of times. Yes. And then also free agent uh, Jadavion Clowney prefers to sign a one-year deal with a playoff caliber team. And two teams that have been rumored that he is looking to sign to are the New Orleans Saints and Dallas Cowboys. Yes, man. Those are, you know, those are definitely two playoff and two and two um two Super Bowl bound teams right there. So I think Jadavion Clowney's making a good decision if if the rumors are true or whatnot. I think he would fit better with the Saints. I think they could use some depth at pass rusher. They got Davenport and they got they got um Cameron Jordan, but they definitely could use some depth. And um Sean Pitt, he definitely he'll throw them out on the defense and their defensive co- their defensive coordinator do some nice things with them. But I think if he wants to go to the Cowboys, we know Jerry Jones he, Jerry Jones loves making a splash, so he might shoot on some extra money for a one year deal, which is reported that he wants. 
So, I mean, it'd be very interesting to see where he goes, but I think he's going to end up going to the Saints or either back to Seattle. I will say this, and I try to be unbiased as possible, but I think that the best decision for him would be to go to the Cowboys. Why? You have Tom Sula. He has been known and respected by the league as one of the top defensive line coach coaches, right? Like in a long time. So yes. when you look at it, you know, the Cowboys are missing that opposite piece aside from the Marcus Lawrence. And I think that if he really wants to get that big long-term, let's say three, four-year contract, I think that he should definitely consider, you know, okay, putting everything aside, proving his worth on a one-year deal with uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. And, 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 and you'll see he'll rack up his, his sacks will rack up because that defensive line is prepped. It's ready to just impose their will on offensive linemen. Hey, is there any bias in that, Jerry? (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I'm from Texas, okay? So, you know, we had... Look, everybody everybody should know already that you're a Cowboy fan. It's all right. (laughs) It's all right. Look, it's okay. I'm an NFL fan in general, but yes, okay, I... I when preference I was, is a Dallas Cowboys. You're a Dallas Cowboys. It's all right. <laughs> but overall, guys, I know every team. But yes, I do watch the Cowboys, and just watch them. Yes, I do. I mean, I mean, who wouldn't want a, a player like that to be on their team, right? Of course. Uh, but 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 let's think about another team. Maybe that people aren't talking enough about. Look, I'm not too sure what their cap situation is. But what about the Baltimore Ravens? Mm, that's that's an interesting but, one. They could use them, you know. They got Campbell from, from they got Campbell there from, from Jacksonville. They got they got still got Matt, they got Judon that franchise deal. So they definitely could use them. They, they they um they drafted a couple of players at linebacker and they, and they drafted some a pass rusher too a pass rusher too in the first and second round. So they definitely could use them. But I'm gonna throw out another team. What about the Miami Dolphins? I think that that thing that'd be a great fit for them as well. Yeah, that would be that would be a tremendous fit. I just I like the Baltimore fit more. Just because, like, man, they are ready to win now. I know yes. last year, you know, they nobody was expecting them to lose to the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round, but it happened. You know, Derrick Henry ran all over that defense. Uh, but I just feel like it would be a great fit. Hmm. Something to think about, right? For yes, sure. It definitely is. <laughs> you got me thinking about it right now. Speaking about thinking, let's talk about Antonio Brown. Oh. Uh, surprisingly, he's not been in the headlines lately, but earlier this week, it, it has been rumored that the Baltimore Ravens and the Seattle Seahawks are possibly thinking about signing AD. What are your thoughts? Oof, immediately, I mean, I mean, we, okay, Antonio Brown, we, 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 know, we know he's an all-star. We know he's a, he's a game-breaker. We know what he's going to do. We know he bring, what he's going to bring to the foot, foot, foot football team on the, on the football field. But we also know he comes with extra baggage, and it's what got him out of Pittsburgh, it got him out of Oakland, where we're Las Vegas now, and it got him out of New England. He won't even he won't even in New, in New England for blink of an eye. It got him out of there. So I mean, you know what you know what you can get Antonio Brown. Is he an unbelievable playmaker? Yes. Is he going to score touchdowns? Yes. He's going to get a lot of yards for you. But he's going. But you always when GMs go and head coach go to sleep at night, they got to wake up the next morning and think, dang, do I do I have to worry about Antonio Brown? Is he going to be there? Is he going to be at practice? Is he going? Are we going to get a phone call about him or something? That's the thing that's going on with Antonio Brown. So I think. Seattle, like like you said, Seattle and Baltimore, they're interested in them. Those are two franchises that have been known to take chances on players. I think he fits better with Seattle 
because I think with Russell Wilson, they're bringing man Lamar Jeff, he's a younger quarterback. And then Antonio Brown, he's it, um, his cousin, he's there. He's he's uh, Marquise Brown. He's playing with the Ravens as well. So I don't think that would be a great fit for him. I think Seattle, along there with DK Metcalf, they got um they got Lockett there. So I think Seattle would be a better fit for him. And Pete Carroll, they can kind of keep Antonio Browns under route. You, know, you see what they did with Josh Gordon last year. So I think if they if Antonio Brown he goes to Seattle. I think man, Seattle's going to be a definite a team to watch out for, and he, he can help them immediately. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 just going to go out on a limb. Well, not on a limb, but I'm going to say, I, I I saw the report that the Ravens said no. So hmm. I I did see that report just after after that news broke. Uh, I think it was like two days later, Ravens said no. In Seattle, Pete Carroll's. I mean, he's always been a risk taker. Even taking the risk with uh, Josh Gordon, I think that if anything, I think that his his only hope right now would be the Seattle Seahawks. And mm-hmm. I will say this: when you look at it, I mean, it's I mean, we live in a, in a day of social media, and we can see pretty much what these players are doing twenty four seven. And I will tell you this: it looks like he has humbled himself, and mm-hmm. he's staying in shape. And he's working out with, I mean, he's working out with Tom Brady. I from the last one I saw. Uh, and then he was working out with some some kid named Flores, which is a name to keep an eye on, right? For future for the future draft, not not immediate, not in the next years, but still. I mean, overall, when you look at it, uh, it looks like Antonio Brown has understand all everything that he's been under, and I think that he is ready to you know start playing football again. And 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 that's what we all love, right? All of us, everybody. Everybody that plays it, anybody that talks about it, we all love football, right? So I think that the Seahawks be his best bet, and uh, I think that Pete Carroll would take that chance on him. He's done it in the past. I think that Antonio Brown would be a good a good risk to take, but there is some hurdles. Of course, you know he probably would face a suspension. Yes, yes, and then also too, the one common thing that both these teams need is a number one receiver. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do have, you know, some receiver depth, but the average NFL fan, they might not even know who it is, right? Besides Hollywood Brown. Right. We have uh, Willie Sneed. DK Metcalf um, in Seattle. DK, it's DK Metcalf from Seattle. And then the other, I mean, as far as the number two receiver, I mean, it was it was kind of changing right throughout the season due to injury. So uh, both these teams, they need, you know, number one, the I think the best fit for him coaching-wise would be with the Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. And plus, him and Hollywood Brown, I do believe they're, they're family, they're cousins, all right? They're related yeah. somehow. So I do, uh, I do feel like Baltimore would be a better fit. Yes. And, and lastly, you know what? This has kind of been bothering me all day. So earlier, Colin Cowherd talked about Colin's top five arm talents. So let me just read you the list if you guys haven't seen it. So number one, Russell Wilson. Number two, Tom Brady. Number three, Drew Brees. Four, Kyler Murray. And number five, Jared Goff. I mean, immediate when I saw this and I saw two older quarterbacks on there, I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> With all due respect, Colin, I think you got this one tremendously wrong. I mean, I don't see Patrick Mahomes on here. I mean, I don't see Jameis. I know he throws a lot of interceptions, but he has a lot of arm strength, man. man yeah. So what are you guys' thoughts on this? Well, okay, the guys will tell you right now, I'm a huge Colin Cowherd fan. So, this, I really, I don't never really go wrong with Colin. I don't really disagree with him. But the first well, name. Come on. 
The first Number night. three, Drew Brees. Let's talk about that real quick. A guy that sat out for about six weeks, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, and could not throw during the playoffs. And he's going to be number three over a young Kylo Murray that can swing it while he's scrambling? My How is reaction, that possible? My initial reaction when I, when I seen that earlier was, where is Patrick my homeboy? <laughs> didn't he just win the Super Bowl? I mean, exactly. I mean didn't he just throw uh, – didn't he just throw a deep pass to Tyree Kill? I mean, I mean, you, I mean Jesus. Listen, he does no look passes. He does, I mean, he just he, he does everything. He does everything. So I'm like, I mean, I've been watching Colin for years. I'm pure to, I got a, I, I got a Colin Cowher shirt at my house, and I cannot <laughs> believe that he did not put Patrick. That was my first time. This is no lie, guys. This is my first time ever disagreeing with him. Like, I'm like, ever. And I, I, I'm a big Colin fan. So I just, I, w- I was shocked when I seen this. I was like, whoa, Colin, what? I don't, I don't know what's going on with him today. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he comes up with these lists by himself or if he has like a, a production meeting pre that mm-hmm. um, to discuss these. But man, this is this is completely wrong. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> when you look at the big picture, right? It's all strategy, and I just think that it just keeps him relevant. But I mean, yes, I, I was. <sighs> man, this this is uh this is I don't know, man. This is different. <laughs> it, it, it's totally different. But I will agree, Russell Wilson does have arm talent. But yes, when you when you leave out, you know, I'm, Patrick I'm not, Mahomes. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, not debating the Russell Wilson pick. Yeah, I'm really not. No, no, no. But no, when no, you no. have when you have Tom Brady at two, you have Drew Brees at three, and you have these younger guys below them. It's yeah. kind of like, man. No, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, when I look at the at the big picture, I'm like, oh man. I go, man, I would I would have thrown Drew Locke in there. You know what I mean? Be- just just right. because and I would have even thrown Lamar Jackson just because of the throws that he was able to do because I mean a lot of people I mean, especially last year, Lamar Jackson, you know, he, he made fun about being a running back, but when you saw the throws, they were side armed. That's arm talent right there. So when you look at that, I mean, for him not even to be even considered I mean, even Drew Locke, right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes should be number one. Aaron Rodgers in there. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Rodgers should be in there. Russell Wilson should be in there. It's just, it's just one of those things. I think that he just had to. Josh Allen should be in there, man. Yeah, Josh I, Allen yeah, has an arm. I, I, I do think that Josh Allen, Josh Allen should be in there, but still, I just think that he's just trying to stay relevant and people are talking about it. So it's just one of those <laughs> things. Hey, you know, maybe one day we can have him on the show and I can bring this up and say, "Hey, Colin." With all due respect, your list is crap. I am yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. How'd you for for you to you know get these names in this order? I mean, I'm just dumbfounded. I'm like, I'll I don't be know the first to go to what he was thinking. I'll be I go to, I'll be the first to go back with Colin and agree with him, but I'm, he, he's totally wrong with this one. Our first guest is an author at Barrett Sports Media. And his co-host on 49ers Web Zone, No Huddle Podcast, Rob Stats Guerrero. How you doing, Rob? Thanks. Good to have me on. Stats, let's go ahead and start off with the San Francisco 49ers. What did you think of their offseason? It's been crazy for a team that lost the Super Bowl. That was six minutes away from winning the Super Bowl. They've had a really eventful offseason, which you wouldn't normally expect them to make a lot of changes. But... I think that they've rolled with the punches pretty well. They've adjusted to the changes. Once they knew they weren't going to sign DeForest Buckner, they found a trade partner and they maximized the return for DeForest Buckner getting the 13th overall pick in the draft. Once they realized Joe Staley wasn't going to come back, 
they somehow worked out a deal with the one organization that hates Kyle Shanahan's guts, the team in Washington, and they acquired Trent Williams, who's actually an improvement over Joe Staley. So even though they've had some losses, I feel like they've done their best to try and balance that out. Now, if it works, if Javon Kinlaw, you know, is he going to be as good as DeForest Buckner? Is Brandon Ayuk going to be as good as Emmanuel Sanders? I don't know. But they've done everything they can to try and set themselves up to make another run at it. I feel like the biggest and best move they made this uh, offseason was trading for Trent Williams. Uh, They just kind of, you know, they fixed their issues, you know, with uh, Joe Staley retiring. Uh, You know, they're going to plug in Trent Williams, and it's just going to keep on helping that line out, right, with that really great uh, running scheme that they have there. Absolutely, and they had to do that because even though Kyle Shanahan gets a lot of love for drawing up the X's and O's, the 49ers are a running team. Only the Ravens ran a higher percentage of run plays than the 49ers did. So that's their bread and butter. They need that run game. Everything in their offense plays off of that, and they understand that. So they knew that they had to get a good replacement for Staley. And as long as Trent Williams is anything close to what he was before, they've done that. Hey, and I have to ask you, I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, rumors going around that, you know, that Jamal Adams from the New York Jets is going to be on his way to the San Francisco 49ers for a couple of ones and a, you know, in a third round draft pick. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it seems like a lot to give up for him, right? If that's the deal, I don't like it. And it's not that Jamal Adams isn't a great player because he clearly is. But the 49ers are in a position where they have a lot of mouths to feed. They have a lot of people that they're going to have to re-sign. George Kittle, they're going to have to re-sign. Multiple players. Their whole secondary is a free agent after this season. There's not going to be room for everybody. And so what you need to do in order to afford a lot of those big contracts is you have to, have to, have to replenish your supply of cheap labor. And that's the draft, right? You don't have to pay guys that you draft very much right away. If you trade away all your draft picks, you're not getting any cheap labor into your team. So that's what worries me as a 49er fan, even though Jamal Adams is great, and he is. He'd be the best player in their secondary the second he joined the team. You put so much pressure on John Lynch to nail all the draft picks that you have left, a lot of which are going to be late-round picks. I don't think that's realistic to ask him to do. So two ones and a three for Jamal Adams, even if he's great, is too high a price to pay, if, if you're asking me. When we think about the Super Bowl game, the, what's the one area they struggled in? That defensive backfield, right? Um, they couldn't cover the receivers, you know, towards the second half. I mean, the front seven was dominant uh, throughout pretty much the whole game. There was just a couple of plays where they let Mahomes escape the pocket and him throw the ball. And, we, you know, we know what happened after that. Yes, we know what happened after that. I'm so glad you brought it up again. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I, I knew you would enjoy that. <laughs> Why did I agree to do this? yeah hey man so i mean i they got to make the move and i think they're gonna make it soon oh man that's so much to give up you know that's so much draft capital to give up so many potential young cheap players you could have if you don't win a super bowl that's a huge 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 disaster especially because we don't know what's going to happen this season are they even going to have a season this season i mean we don't even know well, I don't know if you saw, but you know, uh, a report came out saying that they're at. They told teams that it's okay for them to to kind of tarp. Uh, I want to say six to eight rows from the front. So it, it apparently looks like they are planning on having fans in the stadium, but they're just not going to be real close. 
I mean, it's insane. Look, I, I don't know well, how you could feel comfortable going to a game right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, we're it's going to be July here in a couple of days. I mean, we don't even know what the situation is going to be, you know, in September. I mean, they just canceled the Hall of Fame game, right? And they were talking about canceling the whole preseason. I mean, you ha- at this point, you can't play a Hall of Fame. Get all those people together for a game that doesn't even count? I mean, come on. I, I don't know. The NFL is assuming, and, and they seem like they're going full speed ahead on this thing, which I think they're going to find very, very quickly that they're not going to be able to do. Hey, just real quick, going back to that Jamal Adams, you know, trade rumor. Um, the other domino, right, is going to be George Kittle because I believe he's looking for a new contract. Yep. Oh, absolutely. He wants, you know, he wants to break the set the market for tight ends. He, his agent said he's looking for, you know, wide receiver type money. I, I love George Kittle. Okay, I bought a 49ers jersey last year for the first time in years. And it was a George Kittle jersey <laughs> and it was an easy decision. What's not to love about the guy, right? He gets a thousand yards. He blocks his ass off. He's unbelievable. But again, it's a cost benefit thing. Is he worth $20 million a year to me? I don't think so. I can't pay $20 million a year to a guy that only scores five touchdowns a year. I'm sorry. I love George Kittle. I love him. But if you're going to run a team and you're going to run it successfully, you have to have a price point for every single player in mind. And if they want more money than you're willing to pay, you do exactly what the 49ers did with DeForest Buckner. You move on. You try and get something in return, hopefully young players or draft picks, and you move on from there. You can't break the bank for everybody what do you think he's worth if they were to trade him i know it sounds crazy to say trade him right but what do you think he's worth (sighs) that's a good question i mean look he he's an incredible player but let's not forget too he was a fifth round pick okay part of his success is kyle shanahan everyone loves to take away any credit from jimmy garoppolo because of kyle shanahan but they don't take it away from anybody else you know part of the reason george kittle's getting open it's because he's got Kyle Shanahan drawing up the plays for him, one of the best in the game. Not to take anything away from Kittle, but I think that's part of the discussion. You have to look at that and say, is he going to be as effective in our system when we don't have one of the best play callers in the game coming up with plays for him? So I would say he's – I think he's going to be 26, 27. Uh, yep, I, would say I believe so. If you could get a one for him, I think you've done very, very well. I would say a one would be excellent or a, a high two. We actually do have a question from one of our listeners. His name is Pablo Rivera. He wanted me to ask you, how important is Kyle Juszczyk to the San Francisco 49ers offense? <laughs> I love Kyle Juszczyk. You know, I thought he was one of the key pieces of the offense because he can split out as a wide receiver. He was a wide receiver in college and He's, he's so athletic that they do these blocks with Juszczyk that I've never seen where he'll – like he runs a counter almost in the backfield. He takes like three steps to his right. Then he'll pivot and completely reverse field and go back the other way and block the linebacker on the other side of the play. There's not that many fullbacks that can do that. I think he's a crucial piece of the offense, and I was really surprised that Kyle Shanahan was able to move the ball as well as he did last year when Juszczyk missed a few games because of a knee injury. And the guys do have some questions for you as well, Stats. Fire away. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Stats, um, you, you did some work with ESPN and Mike and Mike, correct? That's right. I was with those guys for about seven years. 
Yeah, so I mean, was, I used to always wake up in the morning, and turn on Mike and Mike. I mean, those, those boys, they, they were doing it big for years. And so, um, my main reason for asking you that is, can you explain working with um Mike Golick and Greeny Golick? Like, just just how how was it working with them? Those guys were awesome, and the guys you see on the show are the people they are in real life. Like, they are not acting, they're not pretending. That is literally that's who they are. Like, I will, would go upstairs to where the ESPN offices were. And Greeny would be in his little corner office, you know, reading an article or doing whatever. And then I'd go to Golik, who had a cubicle, and he was asleep on the floor using the recycle bin as a pillow. <laughs> like, yeah, that's who they were. And But they were great. Yeah. You know, I was on that show in my 20s. I was a, a young, early 20s kid. I had only been at ESPN a couple of years when they asked me to come on the show. And they always listened to me. They always took me seriously. And it's something I really appreciated because that's not something that a lot of talent does, especially on the biggest sports talk show in the country. So they were always great to me. And I will always look back fondly on my time with them. Yes, that, that's great there. And uh, one more question I got for you. Over your time working with ESPN and working up under Mike and Mike and, and the production crew and whatnot, uh, who was one of the best guests that y'all had, that y'all ever had on? That, that was just a great person he came when he came on. Oh man, there were a lot. Um, I would say the one that stands out to me is actually Darius Rucker. Um, I don't know if you remember yes. the band Hootie and the Blowfish. Um, he yes. was like just so down to earth. He was willing to do anything. Like we had him on for I think he co-hosted for a day. And we were like, hey, we've got this idea for this spoof song we want to do. It's, you know, it's a parody of one of your songs. And he was like, all right, let's do it. And then as we started to do it, he was like, let me play guitar. So then he got like an acoustic guitar and he started playing the guitar for the thing. Like he was just so willing to do whatever and like work with us that I was really just that always stuck with me because there's a lot of guys that want to just like get in, do their hit and get out. And, you know, they don't want to talk to anybody or anything. But he like. He still would, to this day, sometimes every once in a while, like he'll shoot me a text because like he just remembers and he's just a nice guy. Yes, that's real good. Appreciate that. Um, Steph, I do have I do have one more question there um, to, to go along with that. While you was working at ESPN, what I did, um, how many, did you see Stephen A. Smith a lot? And what's the difference between being around him and, and, and greening the boys? Uh, well, yes, I did see Stephen A. Smith a lot. You know, he's – you know, around campus. I saw him in the cafeteria all the time. I worked with him a bunch because he would fill in on uh, on some of the shows when Golik was out. Um, yes. He is not saying that he puts on an act, but, you know, he's not quite the same person as when you, you know, he's not walking around the cafeteria screaming about the hamburgers not being cooked <laughs> enough. Like, that's, that's not what yeah. he's doing. But, uh-huh. you know, he's he's passionate, but he's also, you know, very approachable, too. He's, he, most of the guys at ESPN, I have to say, Almost all of them are really down to earth guys who, you know, they're they're nice people. They're regular people. Um, and Stephen A. Smith, even though on the air, he's he's a character. Uh, he's very approachable in real life. Yes, thank you, Stats. Stats is Jerry. Hey, uh, thank you so much. Um, I have I have a couple questions myself. So, you know, being on air, I'm gonna put you. On, I'm gonna put you on the spot, but. What was what would what would you say would be your most memorable blooper or or just you know something that you said that you would you could you wish you could take back? <laughs> well, to without a doubt, to this day, as soon as like you asked me that question, the moment just flashed in my mind. I don't know what happened. Sometimes 
you get behind a microphone and words start coming out of your mouth and you don't know where they come from. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if I blacked out, but at some point on Mike and Mike, the biggest sports talk show in the country on the time in 80 million homes across the country, I said the words, I think Patrick Ewing was better than Tim Duncan. Huh? And I, don't, I know, I don't know what happened. I, I can't explain it. As soon as they came out of my mouth, I wanted to reel them back in. But, but somehow it happened, and I can't take it back, and I still think about it. <laughs> wow, that's epic. <laughs> now, uh, now, now going, going, going a little bit more right back to, to I mean, you, you have, I mean, you've done, you've done a tremendous uh, amount of work stats, uh, you know, producing a, and, and being, being a part of, you know, a show. Um, right now, the way the landscape of things are, I mean, we've seen how a lot of stations have had to be grounded because of the whole, you know, I, I we don't really like to address it, but of this, you know, this, this, this crazy times, but what do you see the forecast for sports radio talk right now as it's, and like, what's its future after everything clears up? Well, I think what we've seen is it's not going anywhere. People, there's always a market for it. People love it. Even when there's no sports, people consume it. We, you know, like the main subject of all the shows disappeared and shows are still on the air. People are still downloading podcasts. And I think it's because people form a bond with the hosts of whatever shows they listen to. You know, they form a relationship. And so even though there was a delay in sports, that relationship is still there. So you still care about those people and care what they have to say. And so I think that the fact that you can produce a podcast or a sports radio show remotely is a huge factor. Obviously that's an advantage over TV. You know, it sounds pretty much just as good now with all the technology we have as it would as if everything was normal in the world. And so I think that the future is bright. I think that it's available and there's a market for it, and I don't think it's going away. If anything, it's only going to increase going forward. And just to piggyback off of that, thank you so much for that. What what kind of advice would you give as far as you know producing that show? You know, uh, aside from schooling, you know, uh, you know, like some some someone that's trying to get into into the same kind of uh, you know game, so to say. I would say the first thing is. Any sort of experience you can get either in college or whether not in college, just doing your own show, any sort of experience you can get is invaluable. Um, just, you know, there's one thing to hear someone talk about how to do it, but it's another thing to actually do it yourself. So any apply for anything, any job at any radio station, apply for it. You know, just say yes to everything. That was my strategy. I was a, I started as an intern at ESPN and people would walk up to me and they would say, can you? And I would say, yep. And then they would finish whatever the sentence was. And then I would literally like have to leave the room and go up to somebody and be like, Hey, how do you, how do you do this? How do you make an open? How do you, who do I call the book of guests? Like, but that's how you learn. And then sure enough, if you do, you know, when you get exposed to these things, you learn how to do them. And then you get asked to do different things and you just have to make sure that you're learning good habits and eventually you'll build up to running a control board and producing a show. And, you know, if you go beyond that, either hosting a show or maybe being a program director somewhere. Thank you so much. That's appreciate all the insight and all the knowledge. Thank you so much. No problem. Yes. Hey, Stats, before I let you go, 
Look, I'm a huge Mike Florio fan, so I have to ask you, how how was it working with Mike? Mike is fantastic. Mike pulls no punches ever, and it's great. He he has the best BS detector I've ever heard. And like that is so <laughs> much of what he does. He is such a thorn in the NFL side because I w- I didn't realize when I started working for him how much stuff they do that's kind of if you really look at it you're like wait what that doesn't make sense why are they doing that or that contradicts something they said earlier and mike is always there to point it out or he'll go to the league and say hey why are you doing this and basically what he has said is he knows if he's onto something if they don't respond to him right away so he'll send them an email saying what, what what's going on here with this and then they don't respond and then he follows up again a couple of days later and then they get back to him and he's like that's when i know that i've i've called attention to something that they wish i didn't call attention to but mike is great <laughs> he he really taught me a lot about the league and how it works and some of the crazy things they kind of do and why they do some of the things they do and uh i'm just really grateful because i think i'm a better smarter fan having worked with Mike. It's got to be the lawyer in him, right? I mean, <laughs> just when, when you hear him talk, man, like he really gets his point across. It's like he's in like in a courtroom, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, no, that's awesome. And thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, we hope to have you back on soon. Where can our fans follow you on social media? You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Stats on Fire. I tweet constantly. As I like to say, I'm there for the arguments. So I always look for smart yeah. people that disagree. <laughs> All right, Stats. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully thank we can you. have you back on soon. Anytime. Thank you. Appreciate it, Stats. Let's talk about teams that had really great regular seasons and were projected to win the Super Bowl that never did. Man, how about the 07 New England Patriots, man? Oh, my God. That, that, was, that was a crazy season. Rennie Moss, 23 touchdowns receiving. Tom Brady, 50 touchdowns through the air. I mean, they rolled through the regular season, set records, and they got into the playoffs. They, they were still rolling, stink rolling through teams, got to the Super Bowl. And the crazy part about it is they played the Giants for the Super Bowl, and then they played them. Week 17, and that was a tough game. Went down to the wire. So the, the Giants, they knew they had a great form at that game, and they they, they hung in there with the Patriots. They brought that same formula with Steve, Sp- Steve Spagnuolo on that defensive line to, to the Super Bowl and got pressure on Brady. To, and they couldn't um, – the, the play, the, the sack that should have been a sack, that wasn't. Eli, Eli Manning was supposed to get sacked. He rolls out. He hit Plasco Birds. I mean, he hits Plasco Birds on the next play. But before then, he hit David, David Tyree. He made that catch. That's why we know David Tyree today. I mean, I mean, I can go on about that game. We let um, the Patriots let the Giants hang around, and hey, the Giants they, they beat them. And that was a, that was one of the worst. I mean, the Patriots season. If they would have capped off that season with Super Bowl, I'm telling you, man. Oh my, this got scouts limit. Man, when you think about that game, right? I mean, how? I mean, I want to say they were averaging about forty plus points a game, right? The Patriots were. Yes. So I mean, what was the final score of that game? Whoa! Was, was it fourteen? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was something like that. So, um, I'll actually look that up right now. But you know, just that play alone, when when Eli, you know, got away from Jarvis Green and he was able to throw the pass away, 
And, um, well, not away, but he threw it kind of in the air, right? And I thought for sure it's going to get picked yeah. off. Rodney Harrison's right there. <laughs> and David Tyree's helmet ended up catching the damn ball. Uh, man, it, it, was so, <laughs> it was so crazy, right? Because right after that play, like, you kind of got a feeling like, hey, like, they might actually win this game. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, yeah, that that's epic, right? Because I think they went, they were like, what, four? They they went completely undefeated before they even hit the the playoffs. They were sixteen and zero, so they're the only team to really, you know, put pressure on the the Dolph, the Dolphins' epic, you know, uh, perfect season, right? But I mean, I, I'm gonna go with the 2009 Colts, the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, they had Jim Caldwell as the coach. Man, they lost to the Saints 31 to 17. But when you look at it, I mean, when you look at that record 14 and 2, I mean, that's a statement. But this is where it gets tricky, right? Because that was the year, that epic year where they said, you know, should, should you rest your starters? And, you know, when you look at it, that, that kind of like they did. And you saw, you saw why they ended up with 14 and 2. But still, that I just think when you look at it, that would have, I mean, it, I mean, Peyton Manning is going to be a Hall of Famer. Yes or no? Yeah, of course, first ballot. Yeah, first yes. ballot. But I think that with this win, if they would have, if they would have got this one, this Super Bowl win, it would have been no question, absolutely, you know, no bias, no nothing. You know, everybody loves Peyton Manning. I, me personally, I like Peyton Manning. I think that he's he's like the prototypical quarterback. Yes, towards the end, yes, I understand the whole arm strength thing. But still, when you look at that season, it was just legendary. And uh, they had uh, just the whole team head to toe. It was just great, immaculate. But, man, to lose to the Saints, you know, 31. The Bounty, the, the bounty Gate Saints that year. Exactly. 31 to 17. <laughs> yeah. And then that was the uh, epic interception, right? Well, I mean, I think everybody remembers that game for, you know, after the second half started that the Saints kicked that onside kick, right? And they recovered, so that kind of that kind of set the tone for the second half. Yeah, it did. And it then just it. real quick, uh, the Patriots lost to the Giants seventeen to fourteen that year. Yes, correct. But yeah, no doubt. I mean, I mean, the Colts had a tremendous team that year, um, but they, I think they they just ran into a buzz on New Orleans Saints playoff team that had just finished decapitating the Minnesota Vikings that were really good that year as well. Yeah, but 14-0 at start, but then, you know, you feel the pressure about resting your starters and getting ready for the playoffs. That I mean, that's just one of those things where, I mean, you when you play football, yes, okay, I understand about resting your, your players. Let them play, but in the second half, once you get the lead, once you get the, you know, once you, you secure the win, get them out. You know what I mean? Not Don't do it from the beginning, you know? So I, I just think if they would have just taken a different approach, maybe – the outcome would have been a little bit different. Um, obviously, you know, when you look back, it was just the Saints just look hungrier. But, man, they they, they really – I mean, they sold that Super Bowl for them. Yeah, but you know what? The, the Saints did have a lot of talent on that team as well. They had they Reggie did. Bush. Yes. They had Pierre Thomas at running back as well. Um, they had – they just had a lot of talent on there. No, for sure, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with that. I mean, but still, there was other teams that we wanted to mention. But you're talking about teams that were right there, 
Uh, just some notable teams that that I want to talk about was the the Cardinals 2008, the year before, with Kent Wisenhut as their uh, head coach against the Steelers, right? Uh, uh, that epic catch by Santonio Holmes, right? Um, and and then the uh, 2006 uh, San Diego Chargers when Philip Rivers came on board, but man, who can forget that game, right? I mean, the Tom Brady had like no receivers to throw to. Javar Gaffney, Godwell, that recently passed away, rest in peace. Oh, man, they really didn't yeah. have anybody, right? And they went in there, and the San Diego Chargers, I mean, they were the number one seed that year, if I remember correctly. You are uh, right. Phillip Rivers was younger. I mean, they had a lot of talent. They had Sean Merriman on defense. They had LaDainian Tomlinson. Sean Phillips. T- a, young, a young Phillip Rivers, Antonio Gates. Yeah. Yeah, Tomlinson yes. was in his prime in that, that year. For sure. I mean, when yes. you look when you look at it, it was just like, wow, this is the year, right? But <laughs> nope. But I, I think I have a better team for you guys. What about the 2001 St. Louis Rams? The, wow. the greatest oh, show on yes. turf that uh. lost to the New England Patriots. Started wow. dynasty. <laughs> Let's think about the team. Let, let's let's just name some, you know, a couple names on offense. So, of course, Kurt Warner at quarterback. Marshall Falk at running back. Ricky Pro at wide receiver. Torrey Hull, Isaac Bruce. I mean, there was just Whew. so much talent on that team. The greatest show exactly. on the turf. The greatest show on turf, yeah. And they had actually beat the New England Patriots in New England during the regular season as well on Sunday Night Football. Um, but, unfortunately, you know, Patriots ended up winning the game. Uh, you know, on the kick of Adam and Terry at the end, and and also I want to add in the Bill Belichick came. The Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all. Time, <laughs> you need to stop. Came in that game with <laughs> he came in that game with a tremendous game plan. He shut down the greatest. Hey, hold on. He I, hey, hold on. Around. Hold on. He was hold on, real quick. <laughs> if I remember correctly, there's still accusations out there that said that they were in there recording their practice, and I believe you can find I... interviews out there of Kurt Warner. And Marshall Falk discussing, like, yeah, they recorded our practices. Oh, and that's man. why they were so dominant against I, them. I heard that. I, I heard that, but I didn't hear that. <laughs> but on, 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 the, on that note, Well, that's interesting. On, on that note, yeah, oh, yes, I said the same thing. I heard that one, and, and but I didn't you gotta hear You got to clean your earwax out, man. Nobody knew Tom Brady then. He, he he was a nobody at that moment. He was he was he, he was just he was just he was a um a game manager, which I think he still well is a game he wasn't a game manager, manager man. He was a young guy. Uh, he, he, Bill, he, we all he was know, relentless. We, we all know that game. If it was just a, if the Bills wouldn't have stepped up, Tom Brady would not have been able to do done what he done. It, it, he did that predicated off of what Bill Belichick done yeah, in yeah. that game, and that's why that's why to this day. Bill Belichick is responsible. I didn't mean to take this segment this way, but he's responsible. You just take it sideways, man. What are you doing? <laughs> he's responsible for every you, last one. You kidnapped the segment. He's, he's responsible for all of it. And somehow of- we ended up talking about the New England Patriots, man. <laughs> but, but if you're going to go down that route, people forget that Tom Brady got hurt in the AFC Championship against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Drew Blitzo actually came in and won the game. Yeah. Yep. He did. Just a little, just a little nugget for you guys. Yeah, he did. <laughs> It just goes to show you, man. Bill Belichick, he's a genius. When you take down the greatest show on turf, man, come on, man. You just, just hang. You, you know what? I'm not even surprised because every time we record a segment, for whatever reason, we own it. We always end up talking about Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. 
Yeah. <laughs> we always end up talking about them. So hey, I'm not surprised buckle you up, this Buckle way. up, buckle up, because it's going to be a lot of that this year. <laughs> a lot of talk about Tom Brady, yes. Joining us tonight is an NFL agent from ProZone Agency, Alex Kaminsky. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing well, guys. How are you all tonight? Great. 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 Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, absolutely. It was a good, convenient time for both of us. Actually, for all of us, since we're all in different parts of the country. Alex, if you would like to introduce yourself to the audience. I'm uh, Alex Gaminski. I'm the owner and president of ProZone, the agency, which is a full-service football representation agency. Um, we are located in three different cities. I have two partners uh, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, and Miami. Um, and one of my former clients actually became a partner. Um, we do everything from negotiating contracts to uh, securing endorsements to helping our clients set up life after football, um, prepare them for the draft, uh, prepare them for any veterans contracts, um, get them appropriate physical therapy in the off season, um, and just try to help them have safe, happy, and, uh, and fun lives. Yes, that's, that's real great, um, Alex. Oh, one question I want to ask you is, what would you say the biggest difference in, in being an agent and a scout is? Right. So, you know, being an agent, I don't necessarily have to know the X's and O's and, and ins and outs of any position that I'm representing to, to do my job for my client. Um, my job is specifically contract based and, uh, market based and value based, um, scouts will basically will give reports on players. They'll visit them in the spring. They'll visit them during their junior year, their senior year, and they'll write up their opinions. Um, they'll pass those opinions along to the teams. And over the years, I've developed some good friendships with scouts and, you know, they help me uh, evaluate talent uh, because I never played the game. So uh, they give me a better understanding as to what uh, to look for uh, in a certain player that I may be interested in representing um, as opposed to, you know, providing my opinion uh, on, on my player to the, to the teams. Right. That's real good there. Another question I want to ask you is, like I said, I know you're an agent. So I know you do a lot of traveling to different stadiums and you know, supporting your clients and whatnot. What is one of the greatest venues that you've been to that, that you've been to in the NFL like during your whole time as been of being an agent representing a player? Hmm, the greatest venue that I've been to, the um uh the, the Cardinal Stadium is, is really nice in, in Glendale, Arizona. Um I haven't yet been to some of the more uh iconic stadiums such as Lambeau Field or uh Jerry's World down in Dallas. Uh, I thought Soldier Field in Chicago is really nice. Um, but some of the stadiums really need some upgrades. They have, most of them probably have 30 year leases. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you go and visit some of them, they, they look like they were built in the nineties, the which they actually were. Um, so I, I think MetLife stadium in New York is really nice. Uh, Lucas oil stadium in Indianapolis is really nice as well. Um, and I'd like to get down to the, the Superdome at some point, but, uh, have not yet been able to. Uh -huh. And my um, one more question I want to ask you, I want to get in here is, as an agent or whatnot, what would you say one one of the biggest things or, or the biggest deals in getting a deal done with your client 
that, that you might have to like a hurdle or something that you might have to climb to, to get the deal done? Well, I, I think that, you know, there's different ways to, to skin the cat, you know, when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, contracts. And I, I think that in any contract, uh, the timing of it is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that uh, injury history is really important as well. It, sometimes teams don't like taking risks on players that have a long injury history uh, or uh, a significant enough injury that uh, they become more of a liability to the team instead of a, an asset. Um, so weighing those those factors uh, is always a, uh, a deal maker or a deal breaker, I think, with with some teams. We're good. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome. Hey, Alex, uh, this is Jerry. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, first off. Absolutely. How are you, Jerry? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, so I, I did hear that you said that, you know, a part of being an agent, you said one of the one of the things that stuck stuck out to me was you said that you try to help your players prepare for life after football. Mm-hmm. So can you share to us, like, what what is it that that you kind of emphasize or try to help them, you know, for the life after football? Because sometimes those transitions, as we've seen over the years, they are kind of hard. Sure. Well, my relationship with my clients are are all very very professional. They're very uh, intimate as well. And what I mean by intimate is that you know I really get to understand. Uh, what they want to do and who they want to be when their football playing days are over. Um, whether it's something that I can offer that I already have a uh, an expertise in um, or whether it's somebody that I need to connect them to in order to uh, make some of their off-the-field dreams come true. Um, you know, just being smart about uh, decisions um, that involve money uh, I think is really important uh, learning what an appreciating asset is versus a depreciating asset um, learning about uh, creating a budget. Um, you know, if they're interested in starting a family um, the timing might be off. So, you know, preparing for college there, there's all sorts of, of things that, that go into the really long life that, that my clients have when football is over. Um so I, I want to make sure that I understand, you know, the picture that they're trying to present as to what their futures look like and just make sure that I, I offer as much advice as I can, um, offer as much uh, resources I can um, and just help them try and build those uh, build those futures. Um, you know, real estate is, is really a, a hot topic right now. I think for some of my clients, they're interested in. Uh, building homes or flipping homes, uh, being commercial building owners and uh, letting businesses come in and rent from them to, uh, you know, create their own opportunities. Um, so I think that uh, anybody can do anything they want. I have some clients that want to be broadcasters. So, you know, I'll be taking them down to Radio Road during the Super Bowl and introducing them to the different uh, network hosts that I know uh, on Fox, ESPN, um, TMZ, things like that. Wow, that that that's going above and beyond, and I like that. I mean, I really enjoy that. I mean, it's just about helping out, you know, the players that we 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 enjoy watching, right? And for them to be set up for you know life after football, I think that that's a that's a great 
you know, attribute to service, right, for them. Mm -hmm. And it'll help them with success. So that's, that's, that's awesome to hear that. Yeah, I, I, you know, from from my clients, I'm never going to be a, a yes man. Um, I think that uh, becoming a professional, anybody can hand you a million dollars, but learning, you know, how to make a million dollars when football is over, I think is kind of uh, the kicker. Um, and part of what I do is is showing them that business mindset um, about how to do that when you're not playing anymore. For sure. Totally understandable. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, um, I know that you are an attorney, a practicing attorney as well. Mm-hmm. What was it about being an, an actual NFL you know, free agent? What was it that pushed you to to pursue that? part of you know your you know all the degree that you have sure well you know most of most of the nfl agents are also attorneys um and just because that's one of the prerequisites to even take the exam in the first place is that you need to have on top of a college degree you have to have at least a two-year uh degree after that and obviously law school is three years long so you know some of some agents also have their mba uh, after, um, after undergrad, but I think that some of the same skills that you need to be a successful, uh, agent, you also already have, um, as an, as an attorney, uh, the art of persuasion, the art of negotiation, um, patience, I think, um, waiting your turn to talk, uh, is always a, a big deal. Um, knowing when to, uh, pull the trigger, knowing when to stand your ground. Um, and it, uh, you know, I, I think that being a people person also comes into it. Um, being able to relate to a very diverse community and, uh, you know, ha- have a seat at the table where um, you can look across from you and, and know that, you, you know, there are no egos here uh, and that you're just here to get a job done. Yeah, for sure. And I, I will say this, you know, and, and Kendall have, has mentioned this before previously, you know, that's something that he's aspiring to be or, you know, trying to be. So somebody like, let's just say that you could give advice like for Kendall aside. I understand that, you know, you would definitely have to get, you know, degrees and whatnot. But if there's any advice that you could tell somebody, hey, make sure when you're doing this, make sure you also uh, take this course or read this book or try to get this kind of experience what is that that would give them that upper advantage you know or or any kind of advice that you can give them that would give them that spark that 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 they can stay on that course and just write it until they get to you know being an nfl free agent like yourself well i you know i think that uh the, the this overarching you know kind of idea that helped me get to where i needed to be was that i found a mentor uh, very young. And I found somebody that was willing to uh, take me under his wing and, and show me the ropes and show me how uh, to be an agent and, and, and show me uh, the do's, the don'ts, the, the lingo, uh, where to go, who to say hi to, um, you know, what sort of positions are um, you know, more valuable than others in the draft. Um, you know, just guys that have done it for quite a long time, uh, that were very gracious and very kind to me, 
um, to show me how to do it uh, without just, you know, memorizing the collective bargaining agreement, which every agent has done. Um, there are some nuances that that come along with it um, as far as the relationship with the parents go, uh, relationships with girlfriends, relationships with, uh, uh, you know, all, all my clients that, that have different uh, approaches and I think sort of different dispositions. Um, and, and hearing it from somebody that had been doing it for, you know, 20, 30 years, um, was a lot calming. It was a lot more calming to me because when I immediately got my, you know, when I got my license in 2016, I didn't have any clients. There was nobody that was, you know, willing to give me a shot because I hadn't done anything yet. Um, so, you know, having somebody to, uh, co-sign for me was, was a big deal. Um, and it helped me uh, navigate those interviews and player meetings with with parents when, you know, they thought I, I couldn't do a good job. You know, someone actually liked me and they gave me a shot. And, uh, you know, now I think the rest is history. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Alex, for all the uh, insight there. You're welcome. Hey, Alex, just real quick. Just I have a question for you. So, you know, a lot of people say they want to be, uh, you know, an NFL agent. But not a lot of people know how difficult and time-consuming it can be. So how long did it take you to become an agent? And, I mean, how much time did you put into it? Yeah, the, the, the process itself is uh, it's, it's quite mechanical. Um, there is a, there's a one-month window, uh, which is usually the month of February every year, uh, for you to take – for you to apply for the exam and you can't even apply for the exam until you have all of the prerequisites, which are, uh, the undergraduate degree, the two years associates degree afterwards. Um, and, uh, you apply for the exam in February, you take it in June or July. I forget which, uh, which month it is. And it's, it's on site. You have to go to Washington DC, um, to the players association and take the exam there. Um, and it's, uh, it's a pretty serious test. You'd, you'd think that it was, uh, it, it was easy, but it wasn't. It's, um, 60 questions. It's multiple choice and it's open book. So you have three hours to take it and they curve it. So, uh, if you get, you know, if the, if the cutoff is uh 48 or 49 out of 60, uh, everybody that got better than 48 or 49 out of 60 would become an agent. Um, the vast majority of, of people that took it, of the applicants that took it, they did not pass. I think that in my year, when I came out, there was a 37% pass rate. So it's a hard exam. Um, ours was 54. You needed 54 out of 60, uh, correct to, to get your, uh, to pass the exam. Then after that, you have to get insurance and then you have to pay your, your dues for the year. Um, so, you know, from February until about October, uh, is that, that timeline to get your, uh, get your license. And I studied every day. They'll send you the materials when you, when they approve you to sit for the exam, they send you the collective bargaining agreement. They send you some, uh, sample contracts and, and, uh, some cliff notes and you, uh, you have to put it all together. Um, but I studied every day, studied every day until, uh, from the day I got the materials until the day I took the exam. Well, yeah, Alex, that's really great insight just because, you know, a lot of people will like, yeah, I want to be a, a, you know, NFL agent, but 
you know, a lot of people don't know, like, what it takes to actually do it. And I know, you know, from what it sounds like, it's very time consuming. Mm. It's uh, it's a full time job. One one client alone uh, is, is a full time job. You know, I, I, I watched a really great um, interview with Joel Siegel, who's a, a really prominent uh, NFL agent, probably close to the top of the list of uh, of agents. And, um, you know, he was saying to himself when he got started, he'd. Uh, he thought it was a really cool idea to just become an agent. I think he was kind of, um, uh, you know, trying to figure it out, figure out what to do in life. Um, and he said that every day he would wake up, he would have a list of his clients uh, on a piece of paper and everything that he needed to do for those clients. And he wouldn't go to bed until everything got done on that list. And I kind of take the same approach to it um, with a little with some structure um, and just make sure that, you know, my guys are happy that, um, you know, they're confident in what uh, I'm doing that they may not see all the time. Um, and just uh, give them that reassurance that, you know, their playing career is in good hands. Real quick, I want to ask you, um, Drew Rosenhaus, he's an NFL mm-hmm. agent. Um, he, he, he represents, I think, I know he represents Antonio Brown and a few other um, big NFL mm-hmm. players. Um, have you ever ran across him, like maybe at the combine, or just, or just even like, can you like describe how he is? Uh, I, I've seen Drew. I've actually read his book. He's, um, I think that he's a really good agent. Um, I think that he represents the most players in the NFL for a reason. Um, he's been actually doing it. I think he was one of the very first agents. I think he became an agent when they didn't have an exam for you to take. Um, I've never spoken mm-hmm. to him personally, but, uh, I admire him and, and I respect him. Um, and, uh, yeah, I see, I see him all the time. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, Alex. Well, we appreciate all your great insight. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Definitely. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Alex. Okay, guys. Take care. All right, guys. Any final thoughts before we get off the air tonight? Yes, um, it's a plenty of thoughts. Real quick, Martavis Bryant and Josh Gordon, they reapply for reinstatement this week. They should be hearing something from the league in the next 30 days, and I think that both of them will be reinstated. Martavis didn't play at all last year, set out, and uh, it, he, he, was th- he was still suspended. And Josh Gordon played half the season with the Patriots and the other half with the Seahawks before he got suspended. Also, special shout-out to um, Stats and Alex Gaminski, the agent coming on today on the podcast. We had a great show with him, and we wish him the best in the future. Hey, overall, wow. Stats, thank you so much. Alex, thank you so much. It was the best of both worlds, right? Especially when we're we're talking about football. Guys, stay tuned next week. It's just going to be just as jam-packed as possible, especially with the Sunday special episode, guys. Stay tuned. A quick shout-out to all our listeners, but especially to the ones we have in Canada. I know we have a strong fan base out there, so we just want to say thank you for listening. But yes, this Sunday, uh, we will have a special guest. She is a sports reporter, videographer, and producer, and co-host on Sports as a Job podcast, Ali Hassan. She will be joining us this Sunday. And that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for the East-West Football Podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. Have a good night. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. 
Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast. 